Welcome to Splatter Chatter, where October never dies. We are the home of all things horror, haunted, and Halloween-y. My name is Mr. Craig Gers. I'm one of your hosts. And I'm Miss Melmoy. I'm the other host. She sure is. And tonight we are talking about uh, Michael Dougherty's Yuletide horror comedy film, Krampus, from 2015, starring Adam Scott and Tony Collette. So we are getting our holiday on. Yes. Um, Miss Mel, how is your holiday season going so far this strange year? <laughs> Fine. I put up my, I finally actually put up my Christmas decorations on Friday. Yeah. Started wrapping some things because I've always felt that wrapped gifts under the tree are basically decorations until you like give them to people. Yeah. So they're sitting under there. Uh, did the lights. Put up my freaky strobe light tree. <laughs> nice. Uh, that my mother gave me. Um, yeah, I'm just doing that. Um, watch. Been watching some like, ho- like holiday themed episodes of things. Hanukkah's yeah. next week, so we're probably gonna make some latkes and do that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Tis the season. Yeah, how, how's it been on uh, your end? Much the same. I got my decorations up. Um, I think I did them Saturday after, like, the, or the weekend after Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Um, I most of like most of the decorations I normally use, I keep at my parents' place. Yeah. But since I didn't go, and, like, I, you know, I normally pick them up at Thanksgiving, but since I didn't go home for Thanksgiving, I, like, kind of had to buy some new ones this year, which is fine. That's fun. (laughs) Yeah. And I got a, um, like, I have an artificial tree that I normally use, but this year I just got, like, a a smaller, like, real one. Ooh, cute. I don't know why I said ooh and then said cute. The the (laughs) cute was the... Cute was meant to be... (laughs) Yeah, so I haven't had a real tree in a long time. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, decorations are up. Just sort of like watching Christmassy things here and there. Um, TV, movies. I still need to watch um, my yearly viewing of uh, Betty. Oh. Hi. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Which is how the Grinch stole Christmas. For those of you who don't talk to us yeah, <laughs> outside yeah. of- I, I just watched um what the fuck was it oh bad mom's christmas oh yes isn't i mean it's it's fine it's fine uh, but christine baranski is in that too and she exclusively plays, does christmas movies i guess yeah she plays mila kunis's mom and she's like this you know crazy like uppity yeah. stuffy like you know, fancy bitch. Like, very similar to uh, Martha May Huvier. <laughs> Martha May Huvier. Love it. I feel like that's, like, kind of her, like, the comically wealthy woman is kind of, like, her mm-hmm. her pigeonhole. Because I think, I've never actually seen it, but I feel like she plays a very similar character on The Good Fight. Like, yeah. the lead. Um, she's the lead in that. Yeah. Um. I guess I did watch Happiest Season. That's a Christmas movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, saw that. Yeah. Everyone 
that was like the big one that everyone was watching like right after Thanksgiving. Yes. Yes, I think that's what I did. I think we watched a Thanksgiving and then watched a Christmas Bob's Burgers. No, and then watched I think a Thanksgiving Bob's Burgers and then was allowed to watch a Christmas Bob's Burgers because now that Thanksgiving was over. <laughs> right. Was the the order in which things happened. You can um, officially move on to Christmas. It was cute. Um I love Dan Levy. Um he was great. <laughs> with the, the fish. fish. Like every time yeah, she would they would like check in with each other and like the saga of the fish. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. I was like, is she gonna get fired? <laughs> yeah, it was cute. Um, it was cute. Yeah, no, I enjoyed it. I definitely like I was whatever about the main plot line, like that was fine. I think I enjoyed the background characters and just kind of those antics more. Yeah. Um yeah, like Dan Levy and Aubrey Plaza's character. Yeah, and, and um, uh, the what was the the middle sister's name or the youngest sister? Jane. Oh my gosh, she was MVP <laughs> yeah. of that family. I loved her. Yeah, so that was fun. It was fun, and she was the she, um that actress. I can't think of her name right now, but Mary, she was also Mary Holland. Mary Holland. Yeah, she also co-wrote it. Yes, with um Clea Duvall. Yeah, who directed? Yes. So, um, very cute. Yeah, no, I enjoyed that. It's funny, though, because of the way Mackenzie Davis's bangs were for an inordinate amount of time, like, longer than you would want me to, I was convinced she was Allison Williams <laughs> from Get Out. <laughs> Yo, though! Very similar, like hair and facial structure yeah i think the only thing that gave it away was i had seen mackenzie davis's name in the credits and i was like she hasn't shown up yet (laughs) (laughs) and then i realized i was like oh that is mackenzie davis she's just doing her best physical impression of allison williams (laughs) so Uh, that was my experience watching that movie i love mackenzie davis I've, i've liked her for a while i'm glad she's getting a lot more like attention and yes more like popular work it seems like yeah um what's also insane is that um she was of course the lead in the turning mm-hmm. which oh, came yeah. out this year <laughs> yes no how is that possible <laughs> oh wow well then just going through your mind about things because i guess this will be the last episode of this year that we put out. Yeah, this is um, 2020. You know, just to go over some things that happened this year. Australia was on fire. Yeah. Kobe died. Yeah. Um, there was a Super Bowl. <laughs> at yeah. some point. It was almost nuclear war. There was almost nuclear war. There was Oscars. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I feel like the con- like the just the collection of things that happened before March like exists in like some far off like pocket universe right it's like it's like the jokes about like oh today is like the 324th day of march like there's like it feels like at some point we're gonna be like okay now that we're done with covid we're gonna go back okay we're we're doing april 2019 (laughs) yeah and like finish the year we've all just decided to not turn the calendars forward um yeah, it's gonna be it's going to be a socially distant and probably by myself banger on New Year's Eve though. Because even though nothing technically changes at midnight, 
I emotionally am going to feel something. And also yes. just knowing that I'm going into that month and by the end of that month, Donald Trump will no longer be president. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's all psychological this year for New Year's. Yeah. Like, it's 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 going to be it's going to be really important yeah. for everyone <laughs> to just be like, goodbye. Yeah. So I encourage you guys. I know there's a lot of people out there who's like, well, nothing, you know, everything doesn't go away in 2021. It's like, yes, no, we know that. Right. I understand that. Psychologically, like, though, I need this. Yeah, like, take a moment. Pretend that it is. Like, take that time to reset yourself. Yeah. You yeah, know? for this year, like, I'm not going to be a dick about anyone doing resolutions or giving speeches about shit. Like, you know what? Do what you need to do. Do what you need to do. do and know that to. by this time next year, when we're doing this, it's probably going to be a lot better. It's probably going to be way better, you guys. It's yeah. probably going to be way better, which is a good thought. Yeah. And a comforting thought to have yeah. in, in this time. So we're almost there, kids. We're almost there. And you know yeah. who's going to help us guide the way? Crump. Crump. Somehow. I don't know. That was a weak transition. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. You know what? You know what? Fucking, after all we've been through in 2020, we don't need good segues anymore. <laughs> 2020 did, certainly did not have good segues. It yeah, was, it was, was no world problems. on fire to nuclear war to pandemic. To a global pandemic. And we all had whiplash by April Fool's Day. So yeah. we're done with segues. Yes. Um, yeah. This is the final episode of the show for 2020. Um, as you all know, we were... We're doing um, episodes monthly now, so we're going to dive right in to 2015's Krampus, but first, let's take a listen to the trailer. All right, spooky Christmas. Just like from the, the old grandma, it was like, Krampus came, Santa's not coming this year. Instead, a darker spirit. That was essentially what we all should have been told last year. <laughs> I was thinking, I was like, oh, this is a little bit like... <laughs> What if this happens? Like, that would just really just cap it all off. That would, I feel like we'd all just be sitting there and be like, sure. Yeah. Just sure. put me in the bag. We're script. Put me in the bag. <laughs> just, just throw me into the, to the Jack in the Box worm. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. All right. So, Crip. I'm pretty sure I saw it in theaters um, when it came out in 2015. Mm -hmm. And I probably watched it like every year since as a new mm -hmm. horror tradition because I liked it. And yeah. it was Michael Dougherty. And yes. I liked Trick or Treat. Yes. So not too exciting, but yeah. Um, I recall seeing it in theaters and I went with a friend. I don't know who that was. <laughs> Right? I'm like, I don't know under what context I saw it. I definitely saw it in theaters. Um, but yeah, no, I definitely, I was like, I was like, yeah, Michael Dougherty, like, this was right after, I think, like, this was his first kind of big thing after Trick or Treat. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I've watched it here and there since then. Um, but yeah, I think I just, I, I saw it and I was like, yeah, this is, this is what I wanted to see. And 
It's nice to have, I mean, there are obviously <clears throat> other holiday horror things out there because we've done, you know, like Black Christmas and some other things. Um, but it's always nice to have a new addition to the canon. And I think what I liked and still like about this movie in terms of like it now being a, a part of the Christmas horror canon is that it's one of the few ones that's overtly supernatural. Mm-hmm. I feel like so many of the popular Christmas horror movies are slashers, like Black Christmas and Silent Night, Deadly Night and Silent Night, Bloody Night. I mean, like, I guess Gremlins is technically, like, supernatural, but most most Christmas horror, like, kind of just It's some guy be, like, dressed up- as Krampus, like, running around yeah. killing somebody. This is, this is, like, overtly supernatural, which is um, kind of different and kind of fun. Yeah. Which I feel is very, you know, kind of, um, <clears throat> feels like a doggedy kind of move to be like, you know, this will be yeah. an overtly supernatural, like, you know, there were definitely parts of Trigger Treat that, you know, it, it crossed a couple different genres. There was kind of slasher elements and, and things like that. But like, by the end of it, it was, the majority of it was like, very supernatural. Um, yeah. Werewolves. Creepy ghost children. Ghost children. Sam. Yeah. Sam. Mm. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and the thing is, is, like, I feel like all it takes with those overtly supernatural things is just to own it. Like, I feel like so much horror is, like, it needs to be, like, did it happen or was it in their minds? And it's, like, yes, that's great and there's a place for that, but, like, having it be overtly, like, no, this is a thing that's going on and we're just, we're owning that and that's the truth of this world. Yeah, and just run with it. Um, Which um, I felt was Flanagan did great with Hill House and Bly Manor, where it's just like, there's psychological elements, but there's no questioning something supernatural is happening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, something about the Michaels, I guess. They just... <laughs> the the Irish-sounding last name Michaels. Yeah, they're just, they're on it. They're, they're embracing the supernatural, and they're putting out great work. Mm. Um, so, before I think we talk about the film, mm-hmm. I think we definitely need to do some background on Krampus. Krampus. Him itself. Yes. I, like, fell down a rabbit like, hole. <laughs> well, great. Yeah. Take us with you. I, w- like, I will do that. This is, this is one of those things where I... It's like, yes, I understand why folklorist is like, we need somebody to have that job and that's the only job they do. Because just like every single aspect of this is like, it might be based on this or it comes from this or it combined with it. It's like nuts. But anyway, the conclusion that I will give you that I will then tell you how we got there is that the ultimate origins of Krampus are kind of unknown. Um... We know, or we at least pretty much can say with some certainty that he predates Christianity. Um, but we don't know, like, what this creature was, this figure, like, what it was called, what it was for, what these, like, sort of, you know, winter rituals they would do. We just know that, you know, the Catholic Church got there and they were doing it and then and they were like, what the fuck? Um, don't do that. <laughs> Well, your goddamn role. Yeah. So basically, Krampus is um, a 
sort of horned and cloven hooved alternative to St. Nicholas, who instead of rewarding kids with toys and that sort of thing, punish them, punishes them for bad acts they've sort of committed throughout the year. And these punishments, depending on like what your local Krampus tradition is, can range from like they like steal the kids' gifts or don't give them gifts to like corporeal punishments to like kidnapping them and taking them to hell. Which is like quite the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And like I'd be curious like to see. I don't know if there if there was ever anything like studied about like which cultures had the more severe <laughs> more punitive than the others. Yeah, were more punitive. Like like it's one thing to I don't know, like to not get gifts is obviously shitty. But to be kidnapped and then like beaten is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Um the kidnapping might come and I'll get to this because I think it's crazy on its own, but there is a sort of slightly connected tangential like German tradition that might be where the idea of the kidnapping comes from but basically in a lot of countries kids would leave out shoes and they would either get gifts on Saint Nick's Day or Saint Nick's Eve or they would get like twigs if they were bad (laughs) or Krampus steals the gifts they were given or Krampus shows up and like beats the shit out of them Mm-hmm. just depends on where you are I guess yeah. um, but Krampus the word is a German it comes from the German word Krampen which means to claw which is horrifying yeah. okay. um, interestingly enough though his origins have a lot less to do with sort of Germany itself than like our modern pop culture would suggest and he's actually prevalent most prevalent comes from the Alpine region So there's versions of Krampus in Northern Italy, in Austria, in Bavaria, and then even Croatia and Hungary and the Czech Republic and Slovenia all have versions of Krampus. And they're all the same thing. So more so, yeah, so more so like Central going into Eastern Europe. Yeah, yeah. But we associate it, it's, you know, when people, you know, when you talk to people about Krampus, they're like, oh yeah, it's the German anti-Santa Claus. Um, yeah. Which, you know, Bavaria is in, like, southern Germany, but it's more in, like, central, southern, into eastern Europe that this this guy shows up. I Um, wonder if that comes just because of, like... Most people know that, like, a lot of western current Christmas traditions do originate from Germany. And so I wonder if people just lump Krampus in with that because it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, we know that, like, our version of the Christmas tree... Is yeah. the German Tannenbaum, you know? Yeah, I, yeah. I think that's entirely, you know, in like the sort of Germanization of Austria. So it's like, okay, we'll just scoop up what what you've got right. and and make it yeah. ours. <clears throat> um, so the imagery of Krampus is like this man with hooves and like horns um, is pre-Christian, as far as we can tell, in this region. Um, some sort of, you know, horned deity uh, was the basis for this. Um, and there's a couple different versions of this character um, who kind of become the sort of antithesis of Santa Claus. Um, one of them is called Perched, I think is how it's pronounced. Um, perched? Yes, which is a female. She's called Frau Perched. Frau Perched, I'm not sure. I don't know German. 
Which one of the toys in the movie is credited as being this character? That's so a fun uh, little shout out. Oh yeah, the the cherub's name. Mm-hmm. I think actually is perched. Yes. Yeah. Um, so this character is similar to Krampus. It's like a goat humanoid figure. Um, so it's possible that there was some mix and matching. One of my theories is that this character of, of perched combined, who was like this goat figure combined with the sort of just Christian conception of the devil to kind of really solidify what Krampus looked like. Um, but a lot of this was going on before the Catholic church even got there. So who knows? That's like another thing is there's a lot of like retroactive history happening with Krampus where people are just like, they put different, different things on it. Yeah. Um, Well, I thought of, I also had the thought of a pan, Mm -hmm. like, and, and satyrs and we, you know, we kind of know how that was, was taken a bit from ancient Greek and other pagan cultures and, and morphed a bit to get a more Christian idea of the devil. Mm -hmm. So I think that would make sense. Yeah. And interestingly, like, if you look at a lot of places today, including the Smithsonian and Nat Geo, which is, like, terrifying that they would, like, post erroneous information, I guess. But they both claim that um, Krampus comes from this tradition of being the son of the Norse goddess Hel, um, which is a modern invention. Um, We the, The first time this kind of comes... To in sort of literature is in like 2012 and it became really popular and people just started saying huh. it was true and it kind of became like an oral version of the story to the point where even like the Smithsonian Nat Geo were like oh this is a thing and it was like no it was in a book a guy wrote um, there's no reason oh, to believe this is true <laughs> um, and, and especially too because of where Krampus is located, he's too far south. Like these traditions are too far south to be intermingling so much with Norse mythology. Um, so we don't know. It's weird. They were doing goofy shit, and the Catholic Church shows up in like these mountainous, remote regions, and they're like, "This needs to stop." Um, right. And that was hard to enforce because they were in these really remote, mountainous regions. Um, so, like all, you know, like many of the moves by, by Christianity, they just sort of absorbed it and were like, okay, that's okay. We can't make you stop. So we'll just change the meaning to, to sort of fit our, right. That was their go-to move. Yeah. Um, which speaking of like the remoteness, that's one thing that I remember the first time loving about the movie and I still have loved it every time since is just like the atmosphere of it, of, like, the snow and the isolation. Like, I could believe it's like, okay, suddenly we're in the Alps in the middle of a snowstorm, and yes. Krampus is, is crawling out of the woods to to get us. So good. Um, Completely. So because I felt it difficult to talk about Krampus in a vacuum, I put a little bit of a history of Santa Claus Awesome. Lay it on us. Yes. So Santa Claus, well, the person who becomes Santa Claus uh, was St. Nicholas of Mira, who lived in Greece in the 4th century. So that might be where the connection to Pan comes from. Ah. Um, and he was known for his charitable giving. Um, like most famously, he fronted the cost of dowries for three women who would have otherwise ended up homeless or prostituting themselves, basically. 
So he, when he dies, he's venerated as a saint. Um, and uh, basically what ends up happening is Greece, the, the Church of Greece and the Catholic Church are declared to be in schism. Um, and his remains are stolen by Catholics and taken to Italy. Um, and it bounces around Italy. His final resting place, as far as I know today, is in Venice. Um, but you can still find his vandalized tomb um, in his ancestral home of Mira in Greece. Um, and he was often depicted in his red canonical robes. Mm. Hence. Hence. Um, <laughs> his name day is today, the day we're recording this, December 6th. Um, and uh, throughout the Middle Ages, it was tradition for children to receive gifts on the evening before, on December 5th. Uh, like in remembrance of his charity and stuff. And there's an interesting connection here to Halloween, whereas, you know, Halloween precedes All Saints Day, but sort of the darker half of it, the darker sort of shadow, comes the night before. Because the night before this, on December 5th, is Krampus knocked. When Krampus mm. comes to potentially leave you twigs or kill you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Give you a stick or murder you. Or murder you. Um, so you that was go. interesting. And I think there's, a, I wonder if there's an interesting sort of psychology there where you have to have a, a sort of acknowledgement of the darkness for the light. Uh, yeah. Know. And something about like maybe the idea of like getting through the night, you know, and mm -hmm. to making it to like the safety of the next day, like a holy day and like being rewarded or. No. Something there. No. Um, this gift-giving ceremony was obviously eventually moved to Christmas Day. I think just because. Um, and I think partially because, too, um, as Christianity outside Catholicism grew, like, sort of doing things on saints' days, like, kind of fell out of favor. Um, mm -hmm. So it moves to, to Christmas Day. And... Um, he, St. Nicholas, morphs with the kind of identity of Father Christmas, which is a separate entity in England at the time. Um, the Sinterklaas character in Belgium and then the Germanic imagery of Odin to kind of form what we know today as Santa. And we know that as early as the 11th century, Germany was practicing these St. Nicholas Day rituals. Um, and then something I stumbled upon with this that I found fascinating, and it tangentially relates to Krampus, because he sometimes figured in this, um, is something called a wild hunt, which happens in Germany. Um, it, was to, it occurs in December, and uh, basically it involved a supernatural figure, which sometimes was Krampus, sometimes it was like Santa Claus, sometimes it was like weird biblical villains, it just depends on who you are and what you believe. Mm -hmm. But they would leave an army of the dead on a supernatural hunt. What the <laughs> Like, in the woods of Germany. <laughs> um, That's so extreme. <laughs> yes, and you should look up artwork of this. It's very dramatic. Um, if you witnessed the hunt, like if you were out and you saw it, it was meant to be a bad omen. Like, it meant... I would think so! <laughs> something bad was going to happen to you. If you were caught up in it, 
you would be kidnapped and dragged to the underworld and then forced to become a member of the army of the dead who would join the hunt next year. Oh, shit. Which I think is kind of where Krampus kidnapping people may have come come from. Okay, okay. Which is wild. So, but those people were basically, like, wrong place, wrong time. Yeah, yeah. If you were in the wrong place at the wrong time, you basically got dragged to hell and forced to join the strange hunt. But you know... <laughs> But that makes me think of, like, we've talked so much on this podcast about, um, like, the old ideas of safety of the home mm-hmm. and fear of the woods. Mm-hmm. So, like, you wouldn't, yeah, you wouldn't want to be, like, out in the woods on your own. And this would be why. <laughs> you wouldn't want to get caught up in the day. Yeah. December is not the time to go out of doors if it you live in a Germanic-speaking country. No. It's time to stay home and bake um, some bread. Plus, it's wild, because they're like, sometimes Krampus leads this army, sometimes it's, like, Cain from the Bible, sometimes it's, like, the devil himself. Like, I guess it just depends on what kind of hunt you run into (laughs) that year. You know, like, if Krampus was busy, he'd call up his buddy Cain. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, there's just a lot of shit going on in, like, the mountains and the woods of Central Europe. Sure. That you can I, see I, how Catholic emissaries were like, what the fuck? <laughs> um, and basically had to find ways to make this fit into their, their practices and their doctrine to get people to to participate in in the ways that they saw safe and fit. I'm just <clears> imagining <throat> this like these like really old, like whatever, fourth, fifth, sixth century, like catholic think tank being like <laughs> okay how are we gonna twist the army of the dead story into something a bit more digestible into something about christmas mm-hmm. <laughs> um so in like the 1930s um the dolphus regime which is like an arm of the nazis um and sort of their christian fascist Counterparts from Germany come in and they outlaw anything to do with Krampus. I'm not sure why. I don't know what it is that they, that like, huh. I don't know if it's an all religion thing or they're extremely Christian. I don't know. Um, I'm not as learned in the sort of fascist ideas around religion. I know communism, like, outlawed religion. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder if, like, do we know, like, if Krampus was still a very popular figure at that point in Germany? <clears throat> I think so. I mean, they are, they're recording these um, Krampuslofs happening in, like, you know, they're happening from the 19th century onward, these parades okay. that we have today. So I think he was he was popular enough that the Nazis felt the need to hand out pamphlets and say no sure. Krampus. Don't know why, yeah. but it's nice to know that Krampus, you know, by default is anti-Nazi. Um... <laughs> Um, he only, and this goes on for a while, even after the Nazis, like, it's still kind of, like, there's still groups in, like, the 1950s and 1960s, like, being like, no Krampus, we don't like Krampus. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I don't know what it's about. But, um, he kind of gets popular again towards the end of the century into now when there's, every year there's, um, Krampus lofts, which are these, um, it translates to Krampus run but it's like a parade that they do in, they do them in Austria where people dress up as Krampus. They'll dress up as witches, as goblins, as all these sort of like folklore creatures and just 
run about in the streets, and apparently it's a lot of fun. It sounds fun. Um, I feel like our version in America would be like an actual run. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, do the Krampus 5K. 5K. Yeah. And I'd be like, no, pass. Um, one thing that's fun, it is customary to offer Krampus schnapps. So none of that milk and cookie shit. Oh, there's a nod to that in the movie. Mm-hmm. When Aunt Dorothy says she's going to make schnapps. Yep. Yeah. Um, yes, that is the customary offering to Krampus. I don't know if that makes him any less likely to murder you, depending on... <laughs> so what you're saying is, though, is just be on the safe side and everybody stock up on schnapps. Yeah. Which part of me is like, I hate schnapps. I would never buy schnapps. But I was also like, damn, I wish I had some schnapps to like drink during this. Right? Um, yeah. But yeah, so um, a couple of different traditions. So obviously in Styria, which is in southern Austria, they do these Krampus lofts. They also do them elsewhere in Austria. Um, but I, th- I want to say Styria is kind of like one of the main places where they do Krampus things. Yeah, um, yeah. It's customary to leave out a bundle of twigs called a rutin to remind the locals, you know, be good or else Krampus is going to eat your face. Um, The tourist-friendly versions of, like, this story and stuff, like, are, you know, in sort of encounters with Krampus, um, you know, happen in Christmas markets. In the remote parts of Austria, it's still somewhat believed that Krampus is accompanied by little, like, sort of creatures and helpers who pull shit on people, as we see in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, in northern Italy, um, at this place called the Cave de Pradil, um, it's customary in early December. They have this ceremony where Krampus, someone dressed as Krampus, emerges from the cave and chases children around. Oh my god! <laughs> so that goes on. I'm not like, what? I'd be like, okay, kids, it's time to go to the, the Krampus cave ceremony. Yeah. Where you're going to get chased, like, oh my god. By a grown man <laughs> dressed as a yeah. goat demon. Um, in Croatia, which the Croatian imagery of Krampus is kind of in the movie. That's the one where he kind of has chains hanging off of him and stuff. That kind of comes the, from the Croatian tradition. Oh. Um, but he gives out a golden branch. Oh. What? Do we know why the chains? I don't. It's interesting, though, because it makes me think of Marley, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So. But it seems, but it sounds like that's an older thing. Yeah, so it's like, okay, if that's a Marley thing, like, you know, chained yeah. up, imprisoned in hell, I don't know. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. See, all this shit in- interconnects. Um, it really does. <laughs> and then in Croatia, Krampus will give out a golden branch to well-behaved children as, like, a symbol of, like, here's the good things you did, in addition to... Oh. St. Nick's gifts, if the child has been, like, douchey all year, Krampus will take the gifts for himself and leave the golden stick as a reminder of, like, you're a jackass. You should have been better. Yeah. So he's less punitive in Croatia. Um, <laughs> though he looks so, scarier. So, so everybody gets a golden stick, good and bad. It's yeah. just if you're bad, he takes your presence. Yeah, and the golden stick becomes, yeah. So if you get the golden stick and the presence, then the golden stick is like a symbol that you were good. Okay. But if you only have a golden stick, then it's a, a reminder that you were not as good as you could have been, basically, yeah. is the idea. 
<clears throat> and then just some other things if you guys would like to venture into other Krampus materials. Um, there's a Finnish film by Halmari Helander from 2010 called Rare Exports. That actually sounds. Oh, I really love that movie. I was gonna say I was like I I I didn't I hadn't heard of this before and I was like this sounds like the shit. I I I only saw it like in the in the past couple years probably, but it's so good. You've got to check it out. Yeah. So I might end up watching that later today. But basically, the the premise of this is a group of like scientists are digging in the remote regions of Lapland, which is northern Finland. And they find this creature that's been imprisoned by the Sami people um, who are indigenous to the area. And after that, I think she gets wild. And the, the, the creature is obviously Krampus. He's got horns and stuff. Um, there's from 2015, A Christmas Horror Story with a buff version of Krampus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he fights Santa Claus. Yeah. They have, like, a... I don't remember why. I've only saw it the one time. Yes. William Shatner's in it. Yes, he's um, the he's like the sort of like uh the um uh he's like the wraparound figure. Yeah. Cuz it's like the anthology. narrator kind of. Yeah, I think I think he's a radio Yeah, DJ, he's a radio DJ. Correctly? Yeah. Um but it was directed by Grant Harvey, Stephen Hobane, and Brett Sullivan with stories written by Sarah Larson, Doug Taylor, Pascal Trottier, James Key, and Jason Philatois. I assume that's how you say that. Um, Krampus somehow figures in all the stories and then buff Krampus fights Santa. <laughs> um, there's Mother Krampus from 2017. Hot Krampus. Hot Krampus. That's going to be the next one. Um, Mother Krampus from 2017 by James Klaus, uh, written by Klaus and Scott Jeffrey. That's about this Fra Perchta Perched character. Um, uh, like the female. Yeah. Krampus. Yeah. Ah. So she spends. Oh, yeah, Mother Krampus. Um, so she spends the 12 days leading up to Christmas kidnapping children. Sure. Is that story? And then there's Krampus Origins from 2018 um, by Joseph Maba uh, and written by Robert Conway that explores like its own kind of origin of Krampus from a group of World War I soldiers who discover an artifact that can summon Krampus. That sounds cool. Yeah. And then there's the book, Krampus, the Yule Lord, by Gerald Brom, which is the what? one that kind of started this belief that Krampus is, like, somehow a figure in Norse mythology. Like, this is wow. where it kind of comes from in the modern sense. Um, but it's about this guy in West Virginia who finds himself wrapped up in the ancient struggle between, like, Santa and Krampus. You so, know. You know. <laughs> As um, you will, if you're not careful. <laughs> This one, which actually sounds pretty interesting, called Snowball by Gregory Bastin Bastianelli. Um, that's about a group of like people who are traveling on this road, like they're traveling in the winter, um, and it's unplowed because the plow truck has been like the person has been murdered who runs the plow truck, and it's just sitting kind of like in Krampus the movie when they just find the plow truck. It's kind of that situation. So they yeah. sit around and decide to like tell each other stories to pass the time, and they start to realize they're all connected to each other. Um, and they believe something's stalking them in the woods, and somewhere nearby is a sort of mysterious toy maker in a cabin. Ooh. So it sounds pretty interesting. That sounds good. Yes. Um, and then for some nonfiction reading, there's Christmas Curiosities, Odd, Dark, and Forgotten Christmas by John Grossman, which looks beautiful, by the way. I think it's like an illustrated children's book or something to that effect, but it explores the dark origins of various Christmas traditions, including Krampus. Hell Yeah. 
There's The Krampus and the Old Dark Christmas Roots and Rebirth of the Folkloric Devil by Al Ridenour, which obviously examines oh. Krampus. And then finally, uh, a collection of short stories called Krampus Knocked, The Twelve Nights of Krampus, where a bunch of writers, edited by Kate Walford, a bunch of writers put together various stories of Krampus from the different regions, like that he is said to, you know, be traipsing about, you know, the Arctic Poles, Europe, United States. Sure, sure. So that's Krampus. So there's a lot out there yes. for people who um, want to learn more. I feel like, don't you, don't you feel like, so okay, we had like this, this movie, obviously five years ago now. Um, but really 10 because, you know. <laughs> but really 10 because of this past year. Um, and like this movie did well, as we'll talk about. It wasn't like, a massive hit though hmm. but like there's it feels like there's been a lot of attention and like a resurgence of Krampus yeah. in these last five years <clears throat> yeah I've noticed a lot more people talking about Krampus or they'll like post about like you know I was as I was just showing you before um we started recording like a, a um like antique shop near me posted about like a Krampus figurine they have to be like oh it's Krampus knocked or last night was Krampus knocked you know watch yeah. out and um there's a store by me that is selling um they actually have a name in german and i obviously don't know it but krampus greeting cards are like a specific type of greeting card you give at christmas <laughs> um and they sell them they're selling them this year and it's like you know i feel like there are a lot of krampus things popping up funny you should mention greeting cards oh boy that provides a perfect segue into the next part of the show, even though... Even though we wouldn't care if it wasn't. <laughs> we wouldn't really care, because forget segues. But, uh, you know, if a good one pops up, we'll take it. So, um, we're going to now move into talking about, um, now that we have that amazing background of the Krampus figure and legend, thank you, Miss Mel, mm -hmm. we're going to move into talking about... Um, the film itself. So Christmas horror in general has always had a very difficult time at the box office and has always been a very hard sell to studios. Um, basically because of a belief that the holiday season is a bad time to open horror movies um, because of the nature of the time of year when you know, people are feeling hopeful and happy and, you know, it's, it's themes of joy and themes of giving and themes of love and togetherness that people don't want to see dark <laughs> shit or murder or <laughs> blood monsters. And, and we save that for Easter when it's, you know, it's like, this is Jesus' birth <laughs> and then at Easter is like the gore fest. <laughs> yeah. Save your gore. Um, so it's always been, Christmas horror has always had a bit of an uphill battle. Krampus um, was not really an exception to that. Uh, Legendary, of course, who fronted the production, um, only agreed to do so if um, Krampus would have a very clear PG-13 rating. Which, um, you know, if you know your horror, as I'm sure the people listening do, PG-13 in horror is considered to be a death knoll. That's kind of dumb there's great pg-13 horror out there but 
there's still a belief among a lot of people. They're like, oh, PG-13 horror film. Like, you, you made a horror film for babies. Listen, they got their one fuck in there. Yeah, 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 exactly. There's great PG-13 horror, and there's great PG horror. Like, some of the classics. Um, Listen, I Jaws. think... What, was it Paranorman? That's fucking scary. I found that creepy as shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So, um... So Krampus is PG-13. It, it did get that rating. Doggerty agreed to that. He was initially hesitant, but then he kind of came to understand and appreciate and be glad that it was PG-13 because um, he wanted kids to be able to see this movie. Mm-hmm. And kids should see this movie. It's so much about being a child at this time of year. Mm-hmm. Um so yes, of course, Krampus is written and directed by Michael Dougherty, um, who had previously written and directed the cult Halloween classic Trick or Treat, um, which had a very bumpy road and was not a financial excess, but is now one of the most beloved Halloween films <laughs> there is. It's so funny because my thing with that movie is I remember seeing an ad for it and then it just never came out. Um, for two years! Yeah. <laughs> it was such a long I was road. like, what happened to that movie? Yeah, and then it was just straight to DVD. Yeah. It never got a theatrical release. Yeah. Um But uh but yeah, it's you you can't really um you can't throw a rock in the horror community before you hit somebody that loves trick or treat. And rightly so, it's a brilliant movie. Um uh Michael Doherty so this was his second film after Trick or Treat that he wrote and directed. He would go on to write and direct uh, Godzilla, <clears throat> King of the Monsters, which came out last year. But again, of, of course, with time, it came out 12 years ago. Yeah. Um, he has also he also co-wrote the screenplays for X2, uh, Urban Legends Bloody Mary, and Superman Returns. Superman Returns. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think that was more Brian Singer. Yeah, it seems kind of... Uh... With maybe his a little bit of involvement on Doggerty's part, yeah. Because <laughs> um, he has, he also would go on to contribute story ideas um, for X Men Apocalypse, which was well also as, a singer. Yeah, movie. I think. Yeah. Yes, it was, as well as next year's uh, Godzilla versus Kong. Um, he is currently writing and producing the upcoming Hellraiser TV series. Mm-hmm. Um, that Danny McBride is producing and David Gordon Green is directing. Of course, Danny McBride and uh, David Gordon Green are the current horror darlings, thanks to um, Halloween 2018. Nice. So they're all working together, which makes me think the Hellraiser TV series is going to be pretty baller. (laughs) (laughs) That's exciting. Um, But there are two other co-writers on this film, and that's Todd Casey, uh, who's done a lot of writing in um, animated uh, superhero world. Um, he's written for Batman, Brave and the Bold, Avengers Assemble, and Star vs. the Forces of Evil. And Zach Shields, who was kind of getting his start, it looks like, uh, with this movie in terms of like official Hollywood credits. Um, but he's also uh, doing some writing for... Uh, or he also did some writing for Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and did some story work for Godzilla vs. Kong. So Michael Doherty, he'd always been interested in making a, a Christmas horror movie. He always um, 
thought that was uh, an untapped market. That was an interest for him. He just never really had a great idea of what it would be mm-hmm. until a friend sent him a holiday e-card oh. featuring Krampus. These are called something. I'm going to figure out what they're called. Yeah, yeah, there is an official name for them. Um, like they're an actual thing. I'm going to find that. Yeah, so that really piqued his interest, and he started doing some research, particularly looking at a lot of Krampus festivals that took place in Eastern Europe. I'm sure he stumbled upon a lot of the information that Miss Mel just shared with us. Mm-hmm. He picked up a lot of books. He started digging Oh, they're literally just called Krampus Karten. That's it? <laughs> yeah. Classic oh, German. Boy. Yeah, anyway. cla- true. Classic German. Um, so he's doing his reading, he's doing his research, uh, he's, he's putting together an idea. Finally, in, uh, 2011, he sits down with Casey and Shields, they set aside a couple weeks, and they flesh out characters and story for what would eventually become Krampus. Their goal was to very much call back and invoke the spirit of a lot of 80s horror movies, particularly like 80s family-friendly horror. So thinking Gremlins, Poltergeist, Dark Crystal. Dark Crystal. I still need to watch that show on Netflix. Apparently it's really good. I'm not surprised. Um, Yeah, Dark Crystal's great and creepy as hell. Yes. Um, but But yeah, but like all three of those films, like those are all like, they're scary, but yeah, they're they're dark, they're dangerous, but there's something very playful about them, something very family about them still. Um, and of course, he still wanted it to have heart. He still wanted it to be a holiday movie, a Christmas movie, as much as it was um, a horror movie, very similar to those 80 movies. He actually asked if Universal if they if he could use the old 80s Universal logo at the beginning, um, but they said no. Ouch. Yeah. But we still got the, like, the icy one. The icy, yeah. And the icy legendary which, one, too, I think. Yeah. Yeah, which is cool. I like a good uh, switch of the logo. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So, in the earliest drafts of the film, and this is really interesting because you brought up the um, the isolation factor earlier, which is something I think we both really enjoy about this film. But in the, uh, the earliest version actually had, um, like, the whole town being a mm-hmm. set piece and the characters going in and out of the town and, like, townspeople being picked off hmm. by Krampus until, I guess, sort of eventually, like, Max and co. realize what's going on. Yeah. I'm personally glad that that didn't end up being the final product of the film. I like that aside from the opening, the whole thing takes place, like, in the house and on the street. Well, and plus I feel like, especially with them, the sort of, like, intercuts of them opening the little doors to the advent calendar, it feels almost like a bizarro, like, National Lampoons or something. Like, it feels like your your typical Christmas movie where, you know, family comes to visit, they're in the house, and you're watching the antics in the house, but it's, like, super isolating and fucked up and scary in this version. Yes, absolutely. And I think that was conscious, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, National Lampoon, another like sort of classic 80s, not horror movie, but classic 80s Christmas movie, um, 
yeah, I think there's a lot of conscious evoking of that movie here, as well as uh, uh, Home Alone, too, I think. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, so the, the three writers, they wanted a film where we saw these characters coming together against a challenge that is really insurmountable. It's, it's not something that they can end up beating because it's, it's too powerful, it's too out of their league. But instead of being broken apart by that, as we so often see in horror films involving a group of people facing a dark force, mm -hmm. this challenge would bring them together, which is more or less what happens. Um, we'll, talk, we'll talk a little bit about the alternate ending later. Okay. Um, and of course, uh, throughout the story and the presentation of the film, there's lots of um, subliminal images and small hints that Doggerty intentionally put in that um, suggest that Krampus takes place in the same universe as Trick or Treat. Oh, nifty. Um, Doggerty has said that there were some really overt nods that he put in that ended up getting cut, but that the finished film still has... Um, some subtle stuff in the background that a lot of people miss, apparently. I need to, I feel like I now need to, even though I watched it yesterday, I now need to rewatch again. <laughs> right? I've watched it like, I've watched it twice in the past two days because I watched it once and then again with the director's commentary. Mm -hmm. And now I'm like, but, but if you're not going to point them out to me, I have to watch it a third time. And then like I look at outside of the, like the, the grid, yeah, the three frame grid or whatever. I, th I think at the end, when we pan back in his workshop, mm -hmm. I think um, the old man's house from Trick or Treat is in one of the snow globes. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, because um, there's some. Because he talks about there are like there are famous houses in those snow globes, like the Bates Motel and the, the mansion. Oh, that's cute. In one of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like maybe some of the background sort of toys could be maybe like some of the costumes from Trick or Treat. Yeah, I'm wondering if like Sam is is somewhere in there, there at one point. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, which I love the idea. If these films are in the same universe, I love the idea of like Sam and Krampus like getting a beer together. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he'll do like, one holiday, like one holiday horror for each holiday, and then like we yeah. just have a pantheon of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sam sort of like hands off like the. the creepiness of the year to to Krampus after Halloween <laughs> Krampus like hey how, how did it go you know? <laughs> the loyal with his big bag of candy yeah, and he yeah, just yeah. hands it to Krampus he hands it to Krampus it becomes the toy sack or whatever yeah. yeah so so yeah let's dive in and start talking about the film and as we do we'll get into our cast and our characters cool all right so cool. <laughs> I always the opening scene of this movie <laughs> when I first saw it, it's it's so funny because it's like on the one hand you can like be kind of a dick about it and be like, oh, this is a really shallow reading of like consumerism at Christmas and that sort of thing, which okay, but yeah. it knows that it is, and that's like what's funny because it just gets more and more obscene as like the yes. opening goes on of like people getting tased over like PlayStations and beating the shit out of each other. <laughs> Um, like, I think just the way he did it was, like, being completely conscious of, like, sh the shtick of it and just, like, running with it and still making a point, but also being, like, you know, 
making fun of making a point almost. Yes. It's like, I feel like we've all been, like everyone's been in an environment where like you're at the mall, you're at a store and you're like, this is crazy. Like, you know, like around this time of year. Yeah. Um, Although I I heavily favor online shopping, even before the pandemic. Yeah. I love online shopping. But like everyone has Christmas shopped in person and it's been crazy. Yeah. I've never seen anyone get into an actual fight. No. Although I hear that it happens like on the news like once in a while. Like, no, I've not seen people get into like a fist fight over like a Barbie. Yeah. Yeah. But it's definitely, yeah, like you said, it's that great way to take it and parody it and make it more. Yeah, because there's uh, like... It's, the, like, it's like in Jingle All the Way, when yeah. everyone's trying to get the Turbo Man doll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like smacking each other with bags and shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like the thing where it's like, it's never, we've never really witnessed it ourselves in real life, but we know we're like one or two steps away from becoming that. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, we yeah. just kind of, like, like, put it in films as, like, yeah, isn't this crazy? Right. Or, like, even when, like, everyone is, like, keeping their shit, mm-hmm. you know, at the mall, you're still, like, but emotionally, I know it's this opening scene yeah. is what's actually happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great opening, though. Uh, so that was that was filmed in an, um, a big box store in New Zealand. The whole film was filmed in New Zealand um, called Mitre 10. Oh. And... Uh, Apparently, it was um, one of the most challenging sequences of the film, not because of the coordination of the fight, but because um, they had to find diverse extras to make it look American. Mm-hmm. And New Zealand is not the most diverse country in the oh, world. <laughs> <laughs> so a bit of a struggle. Wow. So, so yeah, tell, tell us more about the, the opening, Ms. Mel. What exactly so... The movie opens with, I want to say it's beginning It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas is playing. Yeah. Um, as, like, a store opens on, like, what is assumed to be Black Friday or something. Um, or I guess it's later. I don't know if it's Black Friday and we, like, move through the shopping days or whatever. But the point is, is that people are right. rushing into the store. They're beating each other up to grab clothes, to grab electronics, to grab all this stuff. Like, there are security guards tasing people. There's, like, crazy shit happening. And eventually we switch over to this kid in, like, a Christmas pageant, dressed as a reindeer, like, getting railed on by a uh, shepherd. (laughs) Like, they've gotten into a fight. And then, um, uh, in, you know, run, run, up, running up is his is his parents, um, as it turns out, and obviously we know it's the main characters because it's Adam Scott and Tony Collette. Um, go running up to break up the fight, and um, they head home, and we learn that um, our reindeer friend is named Max, um, Max Engel, and uh, his he's home with his mom Tom and his, or his mom Tom, his dad Tom and his mom Sarah, um, and they live with his grandmother Omi. Um, who, like, only really speaks German, like, she speaks some English, um, and they're, like, getting ready for their, his mom's sister's family to come stay with them for the holidays. It's, like, December 22nd, I want to say. Um, yeah. And, like, you get the feeling that, okay, like, they're a little bit crazy, a little bit overworked. He's got a sister who's, like, just really into her boyfriend right now. Tom is, like, taking calls over Christmas break, even though he said he wouldn't, or, I guess... 
he said he wouldn't travel for work during Christmas, but he's still going to work during Christmas. And um, Sarah's like, I'll just stressed out about it um and then her sister's family shows up which is um her sister played by Allison Tolman and Howard her husband played by David Cockner <laughs> um who's playing like a right wing like <laughs> he's so good in this role yeah he's great um and their two daughters um who are uh Stevie who is played by somebody. Um, the Viet Owen. No, that's the sister. Uh, Lolo Owen. Lolo Owen. Played um, and then um, Jordan, who is played by Queenie Samuel. And then mm-hmm. they have a son, Howie, who never speaks, played by Maverick Flack. <laughs> yeah. um, yes. But yeah, um, so that's kind of our setup. That's our setup. That's that's our setup. Let's. Oh, and they also bring an aunt that Sarah doesn't like. Oh, right. Aunt Dorothy, right. played by Conchata Farrell, who passed away in October. I did not know. Yeah, I know. Isn't that sad? It is sad. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So let's talk about our characters and who's and who's here. Miss Mel gave us a great overview of what's going on. Um, Max is our child protagonist, played by MJ Anthony. He apparently was the prankster on set. And, uh, you know, like, classic, like, you know, like, fake poop and and cushions and stuff or whatever. And um, it was apparently, like, like this little flirt and um, was, you know, just, he was just having a ball. (laughs) Uh, He, uh, people might recognize him from It's Complicated, um, as well as the second Divergent movie. He apparently got this part because John Favreau recommended him to Mike Dougherty. Hmm. Uh, they had worked together on Chef. Um, and then he would go on to be star in Bad Moms and Bad Moms Christmas, which oh. I just watched. You had an MJ Anthony weekend. Yeah, a little MJ Anthony weekend. A little MJ Christmas weekend. <laughs> um, his dad, Tom, is played by Adam Scott. Uh, who many people, of course, best know him as Ben Wyatt in Parks and Rec. Um, But he actually began his career in horror with Hellraiser Bloodline. Um, He's also pretty well known for his parts in Step Brothers and The Aviator. He's done lots of great TV work, Party Down, Big Little Lies, The Good Place, and uh, some other horror as well. He was in the Piranha remake, the 3D one. And um, a Netflix horror comedy called Little Evil, which isn't bad. Um, His wife is played by the great Tony Collette. I almost said the late great Tony Collette. (laughs) Will that into the universe? No, not true at all. (laughs) The present Um, great Tony Collette. (laughs) Yeah, the present great Tony Collette. Um, who broke onto the scene in the mid-90s with Muriel's Wedding. Great movie. If you haven't seen it, check it out, Chatterers. Um, She, of course, was the mom of The Sixth Sense, for which she was nominated for an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress. She's very famous for her roles in Emma, Shaft, The Way Way Back. Uh, She plays a lesbian in The Hours. She Um, plays a lesbian in The Hours. (laughs) It's kind of a small role, but like, 
I always remember that she's in it. Yeah. Um, she's the mom in Little Miss Sunshine. Uh, she was the lead role for three seasons on United States of Terra. Um, she recently won a Golden Globe for Unbelievable on Netflix. And of course, she's recently starred in Hereditary and Knives Out. I feel like her presence in this movie just says, and you know, her entire resume just says so much about how she does not give a shit. Like, if she likes it, she'll be in it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and Mike Dougherty was talking about that on the commentary on the Blu-ray. He... You know, he like he had great things to say about the whole cast, but like he talked about like Alison Tolman and, and Tony Collette just just being willing to do anything mm-hmm. and like not like like didn't care if they look silly or ugly or whatever. They're just like getting in there and like just they were always just like fucking ready to do it. Yeah. And like of course, like of course Tony Collette is like that. Um she's awesome. I think we both really like her yeah. work. Um my favorite Tony Collette story, which isn't really about Tony Collette, but when I went to see Hereditary, mm-hmm. there was a woman sitting behind me with a friend, and she, it was like right before, it was, I think previews were going on, like the movie was about to start, and she said something to her friend, oh, and she said to her friend, Tony Collette is an elegant space goddess. I feel like you tweeted that. <laughs> I did because I was because I turned around and I was like, "Correct. Do you want to come sit by me?" <laughs> and she was like, "Yes." <laughs> and we didn't talk to each yeah. other, like, but that's but like the just, vibe. It was just it was just the vibe and this amazing appreciation for Tony Collette. Um, like in I I still think she should have won an Oscar for Hereditary. Yeah, that was a that was a, an oversight. Um, but anyway, so they are joined by uh, Sarah's sister, Linda, who's played by Allison Tolman. She was actually the first person to uh, sign on to the cast, apparently, like months before everybody else, because she's a huge horror fan. Um, and she really wanted to do a horror movie, particularly with Michael Dougherty, because she really loved Trick or Treat. Um, so she had just had her breakout role on the first season of Fargo. Um, which I don't know if you watch it, but I love that show. Every year I'm like, I need to watch Fargo. (laughs) And every year, here we are. Here we are saying it over and over again. Um, but yeah, so she she had just done that. Um, and she would go on after this movie to, um, star in Dumber Dog and, um, have roles on Good Girls and Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Castle Rock. And, uh, she was just the lead on an ABC show, Emergence, um, which only had one season. Um, But she's doing great things. And her husband, Howard, is played by uh, David Kochner, um, who was, you know, kind of, like, described as being the class clown on the set of the film, to nobody's surprise, um, given his sort of really famous roles um, in Anchorman and on The Office. Um, he has worked in sketch comedy and stand-up for years. Um, he's also done horror. He is a regular on the Goldbergs right now. He is. Um, My mom loves the Goldbergs, by the way. Does she? Yeah. I've heard good things about it's, it. Every time it's on, like, I think it's funny. Like, I don't, like, hate watching it. I just mm-hmm. don't keep up with it. Yeah. Well, he's on that, apparently. Um, he is. He's he also... plays an uncle on that, I believe. 
Of course. I mean, he would, yeah. That's so his, like, his niche. Yeah. Um, he's also a regular on American Dad. He's the voice of Dick Reynolds from the CIA. Um, and he was in the revival season of Twin Peaks as a detective. So those are our adults, um, or like the two, the two couplings making sort of like the adults of the family. Um, they had all done horror before as well as drama and comedy, which was something Doggerty singled out in the commentary as being very helpful because this film is a blend of all of that. Mm -hmm. And he said he really didn't have to coach them when it was time to switch between genres because of their prior experience um, doing that. Now, of course, we also have Krista Stadler playing Omi Angle, the grandmother. Uh, she is an Austrian uh, born actress who actually grew up hearing the Krampus legend mm. and having someone dressed as Krampus, like coming to the village school every December. <laughs> so terrifying. Terrifying, right? But um, she was the only person in the cast, aside from Doggerty and the writers, who was familiar with, with the Krampus stories. Um, her character of Omi was actually meant to be death in the earlier drafts and that Max was her going to be her translator. This was switched to have her um, speaking German and a limited amount of English, um, which I think is a better move. Mm -hmm. And um, she she's done a lot of German films, not a ton of American work, but uh, apparently what convinced her to take on this part was when she read um, the scene of Omi's reunion with Krampus hmm. uh, when he comes down the fireplace, which is a great scene. Yeah. We've also got Conchata Farrell as Aunt Dorothy. Um, another, another actor in the film with a very long and distinguished career. Um, she was a network, Edward Scissorhands, Mystic Pizza, Aaron Brockovich, Frankenweenie, True Romance, she did a lot of work in TV on L.A. Law, Matlock, Buffy. Um, her most famous role was probably the housekeeper on Two and a Half Men, mm -hmm. um, which she played for, I think, 12 seasons. Yeah, I think she was on it through pretty much all of it. Yeah, I think so. Um, numerous awards and nominations. Uh, she, as Ms. Mel said, she passed away um, not even two months ago from um, complications of a heart attack. Um, so very sad. Um, we've got Stephanie Livy Owen playing Beth Angle, uh, Max's sister. Uh, she began her career in The Lovely Bones and was uh, the star of CW's The Carrie Diaries series. Mm -hmm. uh, she was actually a native Kiwi. Her house was only 15 minutes away from the set <laughs> in New Zealand. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to go sleep in my house, but you guys have fun in your trailers. Yeah, so she could like roll out of bed like half an hour before work every day. It's kind of awesome. Uh, when she came to her audition, she brought her sister Lolo Owen with her, and Lolo ended up being cast as Cousin Stevie. Cute. Yeah. Um, I don't think Lolo Owen has done any other work. It didn't have anything else on her IMDb, really. Her on-screen sister Jordan is played by Queenie Samuel, who is now starring in a British TV series called Shortland Street. Uh... Stevie and Jordan's brother, Howie Jr., is played by Maverick Flack in his only role. Um, Miss Mel said, like, he, he also doesn't have any He doesn't role. speak. You know what he, the character reminded me of? Hmm. The, 
the boy that eats the poison candy in Trick or Yeah, no, it looks like an older version of him. Yeah, like... Which makes me think, Mike like, Dougherty, are they related? Right? Like, Mike Dougherty loves a fat kid with curly hair, like, eating <laughs> all the time. <laughs> because it shows up in his first two movies. I haven't seen Godzilla, King of the Monsters. And I'm willing to bet. But if there's a fat kid with curly hair in that, eating a lot, checks out. Um... And we've got, uh, completing the family is little Sage Hunfield as baby Chrissy, um, which she was chosen apparently after three weeks of baby auditions. Hysterical. And yeah, and I guess she did great at her audition. Like she did not mind when other people held her or whenever they did whatever tests they do for baby auditions. (laughs) Snapping their faces at all. Yeah, stuff like that. But I guess when she was on set, it was a bit more difficult, which I think makes sense. Sets are very chaotic places with way more people um, moving in and out. And um, just like they, they, they talked about it was it's really challenging because like with like labor and legal restrictions, you can only make a baby cry on set once a day, apparently. That's hysterical <laughs> and also like terrifying i don't know (laughs) yeah yeah so um i guess maybe not necessarily tough to work with sage hunfeld but just tough to work with a baby yeah which makes sense and then our minor roles um leaf towers as derek beth's boyfriend curtis vow as the delivery man from dhl stunt performer luke hawker as krampus stunt performer brett Beatty as der clown Justin Roiland, Brehan Burns, and Seth Green. Yes, that's Seth Green <laughs> voicing the gingerbread men. <laughs> Ivy George voicing the Sherub, whose name is um, Pers- apparently uh, Pershka. Pers- Pers- I don't know how to say yeah. it. Something like that. Yeah, and Gideon Emery, who voices Krampus. So. Nice. There's our cast. Um, all right. Now, circling back, what happens after everybody arrives at the house you know they've brought in dorothy they weren't supposed to there's like yeah there's like almost like this clash culture between the two yeah so basically max still believes in santa um and his uh, obviously his older sister is too old for that and his two cousins who come in um stevie and jordan don't believe either and they find his letter to santa that he had written um and they decide it would be fun to read it out loud at dinner to like make fun of him and as they're reading it he says things like I wish my parents would like stop fighting and he he wishes life were better for his cousins and that their dad wishes they were boys and all this shit and they get like angry and pissed off and like um you know offended and a fight breaks out and it's and it's Mm -hmm. terrible and Max ends up tearing up the letter in anger and throwing it out the window to the wind where it is caught up and ominously blows away which so can we just why does no one else in his family stop the girls from reading his letter stop the girls from reading his letter also i think he's a little he's like just on the cusp but he's a little old to be believing in santa the other interesting thing is i don't think this movie it makes a statement that krampus is real but i don't think it suggests that santa is real yeah, it never takes a stance on Santa Claus. But it's interesting because the whole thing is that Krampus is sort of punishing Max for not believing. 
Yeah, for losing his Christmas spirit, I guess, is what... Yeah. What, um... And so then I want... Like, I guess I wonder, and thinking about the pageant, does Max actually believe in Santa Claus, or does he believe in the spirit yeah. of Santa Claus and, like, the holiday? Because that's yeah. what he loses. Yeah. So we're not sure. We're not sure. Um... Yeah, and it's interesting because, you know, like, they make the statement that Krampus is older than Santa Claus in Christianity, so it could just be, you know, there's this entity that's taken on this role within this decided mythology about Christmas. Like, who knows? The film never makes a stance on Santa. Yeah. But on the next day, uh, the power's going out, there's a huge snowstorm, there's no, like, hot water or anything, and it kind of sucks, and they're all stuck in this house together. Um, and Omi's like very much in, in, intent on um, keeping the fire going in the fireplace. Like she's constantly in the background of scenes tending to the fire. Um, yeah. And uh, basically during this, um, <clears throat> Beth decides that she's going to go see her boyfriend because she like just can't handle being stuck in the house. And he's only like a couple houses down the road. Um, so she walks out in the storm, and she sees something creepy hopping along the roofs of the houses. <laughs> it's damn creepy. Yeah. Uh, what does she see? She sees a tall, shadowy cloaked figure with glowing eyes and horns. Mm-hmm. And appropriately, she freaks out and runs. Yeah. <laughs> She's not making it to the boyfriend's house. Derek. No. She's not making it to Derek's house. Because the thing chases her, jumping from rooftop to rooftop, house to house. Until Beth comes upon um, a delivery truck that has been sidelined on the road with the driver inside frozen to death. And so she hides underneath it. But this figure knows that she's there and puts a jack-in-the-box underneath mm. the delivery truck. And as it goes off, something comes out of it. We don't see what because we pull away, but we know enough to know that Beth is dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which was always a very strange choice to me. I'm always surprised she dies so early. Yeah. And that she's not set up to be, like, the bitchy sister character. Um, like, she is, but it's just, it's like, it gets cut off. Yeah. Like, they don't, they don't push that. Yeah. Super far. But anyway. um, So, Beth never returns. And this, of course, prompts uh, her parents and her family to worry. Um, So, Tom prepares to go out and look for her and Howard agrees to come with him. You know, like there's this, this tension and this clash between Howard and Tom and like the kind of men they are and who takes care of and provides for this family the best. And like, it's all very, like these characters are tropes, right? Mm -hmm. And they're written that way. The movie knows that. Um, and it works with that. So they go out into the snow and they make their way to Derek's house which is a scene of absolute chaos. Um, no one is there. No one is anywhere. They don't see anyone else outside. All the lights, you know, yeah. right, are off. It's a 
true like winter wonderland blizzard. Um, but the chimney has been broken open at Derek's house and they notice uh, what look like goat prints in the sand, in the sand, in the snow. <laughs> <laughs> the lovely beach. They also find the, uh, the doll or the gingerbread man. Yeah. Knifed to the fridge or something. Yeah. And they're like, what the hell? Um, which is the appropriate reaction. And then they're attacked by something out in the snow. Um, Some sort of like tremors thing in in the snow. And they're like, what the hell? And it ends up with Howard getting injured. Um, When they, so they flee back to, to the house where, um, Sarah and Linda have been trying to hold down the fort and um, they're still not really sure what to do. So they sort of settle in for the night. Everyone is um, bunking in the living room. They board up the windows and the doors and they've got the fireplace going to try and keep everyone as warm as possible. But they all fall asleep. Even though Howard said he was going to stay up and keep watch. (laughs) And even though Omi knows what's going on, but she also falls asleep. But they all fall asleep, and then Hook comes down the chimney with a gingerbread man on it. And it jingles, and it jangles, and it doesn't wake up anyone except Howie Jr. for some reason. And since, you know, he's a a large child, he's hungry. (laughs) Again, tropes. Yes. Not casting aspersions. But he goes to eat the gingerbread man cookie, which is not actually a cookie. It's a mischievous minion of Krampus. And so (laughs) they drag him up the chimney, which wakes everybody else. And there's this hilarious, like, tug of war trying to get him to come back down the chimney. And, uh, but, you know, it doesn't work. And he gets sucked up. And it's all very Augustus Gloop. Yes. Really Um, and then everyone's like, okay, something is like seriously wrong here. Um, you know, the Christmas tree gets set on fire again, another like Christmas vacation nod Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, and everything is, is, is in total chaos. People can't deny that something really off is going on right now. And, uh, fortunately someone in the room has answers to what is going on. And that someone is, uh, Omi. And uh, she tells them a story. And what is the story that she tells them? Um, so there's this actually really interesting little animated scene that cuts in as she's telling yeah. this story to like portray the events. But basically she tells a story of when she was a young girl um, in Europe, living in World War II torn Europe. Um, and that it was like a shitty year that Christmas, like everyone was having a rough time. They were stealing food and provisions from each other. Um, There's this scene of her getting bread from like a, like an army relief vehicle and somebody like takes it from her and then somebody else gets in a fight with that person to take the bread and it's this whole thing. Um, And what happens is, is that uh, Santa does not come that year to her little village. Um, Instead, something darker came and it's Krampus and he shows up at the houses coming down the chimney busting these chimneys open he hates chimneys that's Santa's thing (laughs) yeah 
Um, and he goes in and he he takes people and he, he attacks them or kills them or drags them with him um, to the underworld and he decides to spare the child version of Omi as a sort of warning or a reminder. Um, and he leaves her with this little sort of Christmas bauble um, that's like a little metal bell that says Krampus on it as a reminder um, of what can happen when one uh, loses their Christmas spirit and their kindness. In their defense, it was World War II. There was a lot going on. <laughs> it's indicated that, like, there wasn't a lot of food and people were starving. Yeah. So, so Krampus has you know. no, does not care about context. If you're, if people are being dickish, like, sure. it is what it is. Yeah, they were still, they were still being dicks. We know yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's meant to juxtapose against the scene we see in the beginning where people are fighting over toys and games, the people in the back are, in this flashback are fighting over bread and that sort of thing, and Krampus still punish them, so, you know, make of that what you will. Um, obviously, Howie thinks this is, like, crazy nonsense. Um, you know, everyone else is like, I don't, I don't know. Tony Collette, Sarah, has seen, like, the gingerbread man, so I think she's a little bit inclined to... To believe um but howard is like this is fucking stupid i'm gonna go handle this myself and he goes to open the door limping with his gun um and sees outside there's a crap ton of snowmen now like have been made up outside their house which is so creepy yes um and they're like oh my god like you can't this is like crazy you can't leave um And what happens next? So now it's basically a full-on onslaught mm -hmm. of Krampus's minions against the house because the fire has died down. Yes, you know there's yes there was a scuffle and the, we have lost much of the fire in the scuffle. Yeah, we lose the fire, which we kind of understand like almost sort of like a charm like a mm -hmm. way to protect them because Omi's very insistent that the fire be kept lit and warm um mm -hmm. you know once once things start going bad which again why did she fall asleep which then? right there is a connection to this Perchta character and um light ah see yeah so, yeah so there you go <laughs> um so there we go yeah so so yeah so the toys invade um, and what it, it really begins when, um, Stevie and Jordan go upstairs to go to the bathroom because Aunt Dorothy has to clog the downstairs bathroom yes. and they think they hear Beth in the attic. And so they go up to the attic and I'm like, Beth, everyone has been looking for you. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's not Beth. It's, um. The monstrous toys of Krampus, including uh, the Cherub doll and Teddy, the teddy bear with teeth, <laughs> and the Jack in the Box, who is known as Der Clown. Der Clown. And so they're attacked. Uh, the adults hear their scream from downstairs, which prompts them to uh, make their way up to the attic. Uh, Howard stays downstairs to keep an eye on Max and Omi and the baby. Um, and he ends up getting into a fight with the gingerbread men in the kitchen. Who <laughs> have commandeered a nail gun. Who have commandeered a nail gun. 
and are chasing him around the kitchen with him. Yep. <laughs> While Linda, Tom, and Sarah do battle in the attic against Teddy and the sheriff and Dirk Clown. And it kind of goes well for our heroes. Um, mm-hmm. With the help of Rosie the Pitbull, uh, <laughs> Howard is able to uh, dispatch with the gingerbread men. Um, Linda sort of finds her strength and finds her voice. She you knows she's sort of this mousy character until this point. And she ends up picking up an axe and you know, like hacking away at the, the cherub. And she stabs Teddy with an icicle. Um, and she saves her, her sister and her brother-in-law, but not her daughters who their clown swallows whole. Yes. Which is so gross. Yeah, it's like they come, they they shine the light, and the like the flashlight is in the dark, and then all of a sudden, it lights on um, just the image of like it's yeah. swallowing, and you just see the shoes. Yeah. How great would it have been though if like they had like axed Dark Clown, and like the kids just spilled out? Right. That would have been cool. Yeah. But anyway, so a moment of victory. And we, we regroup downstairs, but it's short-lived because then the house is attacked by the Dark Elves. Mm. Ooh. Now, a note about the Dark Elves that I discovered thanks to the director's commentary. Mm-hmm. Um, the Dark Elves, uh, sometimes known as the Yule Lads, Cute. Um, are an Icelandic tradition Oh, uh, interesting. Yeah, an Icelandic winter tradition that says there were these 13 dark elves or Yule lads that lived up in the mountains of Iceland and that in the 13 days leading up to Christmas, they would sneak down one at a time, one per night, to either leave presents for good children or leave potatoes for bad children this is what i don't get like so coal (laughs) is meant to be a punishment but it's like that's an expensive commodity you could use that in your home you could sell it to your nearest rockefeller a potato (laughs) like (laughs) you could eat that amazing (laughs) you could could eat a potato like why is this a punishment yeah 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 um and so that's what they were said to do. And then they were also kind of like a little bit mischievous. Sometimes they, um, you know, you were kind of meant to leave treats out for them, like usually cookies. Mm-hmm. So they would have something to eat or they might end up like stealing one of your sheep. Um, and a lot <laughs> Not of them, my sheep. <laughs> yeah. Well, and a lot of them have these very like sort of like funny, goofy names. Like one of them is like sheep stealer or sheep coat stealer or something oh like that. God. Um, and one of them, one of the 13 was named Meat Hook, which oh when my the God. hook comes down the chimney, it, that's what that's a reference to. Oh my God. Yeah. That's terrifying. So, those, so that was just a little, a little what something. What is going on in like Central and Northern Europe that they had just these horrifying gore fests for, for Christmas? Well, it's like. It's just like the fairy tales, right? Like yeah. the OG fairy tales, which were meant for children, but were very dark. Yeah, like it's it, it goes from being like, okay, like, you know, today we have, okay, you got to wish and dream and you'll get there versus back then where it's like, if you're a dick, like they're going to cut your head off and eat your yeah. brains. Mm-hmm. 
Right. And birds will peck out your eyes. Yeah. And you'll be lost in the woods and sucks to suck. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But so the dark elves invade and they attack the family mm-hmm. and they take baby Chrissy, who we assume dies. Yeah. Very dark. Yeah. <laughs> they also take Aunt Dorothy. Mm-hmm. They just sort of yeet her out the window. Yeah, <laughs> and um they also inadvertently end up taking howard because he sort of he throws himself at der clown in an effort to rescue his baby his last remaining child who hasn't been taken and he is now taken as well so we're losing people fast here yeah so tom now makes the decision that they they've got to go they you know, we've been going, there's this back and forth that the characters have been having. Do we stay? Do we leave? Do we try and find help? What's going on? It, it's time to go. Tom says that they're going to head for the abandoned snowplow that he saw earlier when he was out with Howard. And so they gather themselves and they're going to leave the house. But then Omi stays behind with a final goodbye to max telling him to be good she closes the door to the house and bars it in an effort to buy her family some time and confront krampus krampus himself is finally appearing and she's going to confront this demon literally that you know defined her childhood and has sort of been haunting her all of the years since so krampus emerges from the fire this is her michael yeah, Krampus is her Michael. This is her Laurie Strode moment. And she and she stands her ground. She's very brave. Krampus is there. He there's a, a moment between them, like where I guess it's meant to communicate that he I mean, he knows who she is, I think. Like he remembers her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he opens up his basket of demon toys and we don't see it, but Omi is killed. Yes. So, Tom, Sarah, Linda, Max, and uh, is it Stevie or Jordan that's left? Stevie, I think. I don't, yeah. I... <laughs> Our only survivors. They're on their way to the snowplow. But then they start getting um, picked off by the dark elves doing their tremors thing in the snow. <laughs> <laughs> um. Tom is taken first. He tries to, to to shoot at some of the things in the ground to give his family time to get to the snow plow, but they end up sucking him down into the snow. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Linda is taken uh, right as the they get to the snow plow, and then uh, Sarah is able to get Max and Stevie into the truck, but then she is also taken. Um, just a great moment with Tony Collette, you know, where she looks at Max and she's tells him she loves him and then she's sucked down she's sucked down and so now it's just max and stevie in the truck they can't get it to start the dark elves are attacking stevie is taken max is the only one left the elves seem to have abandoned him um so what does max do next So Max goes out to sort of confront the situation Mm -hmm. and he finds that, um, so Krampus has a gift for Max. 
he drops into his hand something wrapped up in the ripped up shards of like the letter that Max wrote to Santa. And out comes a little Christmas bauble, exactly like the one that uh, Omi had. Um, and he recalls her saying that Krampus had killed everyone or to stolen everyone and left her as a reminder of what happens. So we're made to believe now, okay, Max is the lone survivor to be a warning to others about what happens. But Max is like, no, fuck that. Um, <laughs> And runs up to where Krampus... Did we decide it was Stevie? It's Stevie. Stevie was the last. Yeah. yeah, the dark elves and Krampus has this crazy like sled pulled by weird demonic oxen or something. But like a gaping hole into like hell or the underworld has opened up and like all the elves are laughing and chattering around and like getting ready to like throw Stevie down there. And Max runs up to Krampus and he just says, he's like, no, like I'm not... Fuck this, like... I'm not doing this. And he throws the um, ornament into the pit and tells Krampus to take him instead and, you know, let her live. Um, and, you know, he and Krampus kind of have this, like, sort of stare off at each other. Um, and then eventually they throw Stevie into the pit and then Krampus grabs Max and dangles him over the pit for a while before eventually dropping him in as well. Um, and he falls into the pit and then Wakes up in his bed. Um, what? Yes, he wakes up in his bed. Um, you know, it's snowing out, but the you know it's it's not blizzard conditions. Um, we find it's Christmas morning. Everyone's fine. Everyone's there. Um, they're opening presents. He comes down. He gets handed a gift, um, and he's like, oh, "Okay, I guess it was just a really crazy wild dream." So he goes to open his gift, and he finds it's. The Krampus ornament. And he pulls it out and looks at it, and then Tom and Sarah, who are sitting next to him, look at it and kind of get these like sort of ominous looks on their faces and look at each other. And everyone else looks around and is suddenly very unsettled and doesn't want to say anything, but they're like very freaked out. And then the record player starts to play, um, you know, that you better watch out, you better not cry uh, song, which has a name. <laughs> um, Santa Claus is coming, coming to town. Um, they pan out of the living room. We pan out of the living room, pan out of the house to find that their house is sitting in a snow globe on a shelf in Krampus's workshop. Along a sea, as we mentioned before, a shell, you know, shelves and shelves of other houses. Um, and then the toys jump out for one last scare and we cut the credits. Now, I didn't realize until much later this ending was like controversial for a lot of people. Yeah, that was one of the criticisms it got at the time. Yeah. And I think still gets. Um, now, there is there was an alternate ending mm -hmm. on the Blu-ray. It's not much different. But in the alternate, only Max and Omi have that moment of like acknowledgement and remembrance that the bell triggers in them. And the camera pans out, it doesn't do the snow globe thing. We just mm -hmm. pan out of the house and it fades and the rest of the family is happy. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not much different. But of course, the actual ending... So yeah. there are two ways to read it. And I originally read it one way, now I read it slightly differently. 
My original view of this ending was that it was just sort of like a warning. Like Krampus has all the houses in these snow globes and he's watching everybody, you know, to find out who he's got to fuck over. Yeah. And that's been my predominant thought for a while. But in watching it yesterday, I felt that, you know, I was looking at it, looking at what Krampus does. I thought, you know, my reading now was, okay, this is maybe what happens when he takes people and they're kind of trapped in a perpetual Groundhog Day then of doing Christmas morning trapped in his lair, you know, forced to to do it over and over again uh, as punishment. So that's, is that the... Is that how you interpret it now? That's how I interpret it now. I, I originally okay. interpreted it more as like, oh, it's a warning. Krampus is watching. Which I think, you know, the record player music kind of suggests that it's like a him watching type thing. Right. But like, I just, I, I felt more, wa- you know, watching it this time that it was like, okay, like he dropped them down into the pit of fire and this is what happens, you know? Yeah. They're like, yeah, like they're in purgatory. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I kind of had the opposite. Yeah. I feel like when I initially saw it, I was like, oh, they're like they're dead. They're in some sort of hell world of the like they're just gonna have to keep doing it again. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> and now I think I'm more inclined to be like, I think he's just reminding them mm-hmm. and letting like don't forget again, like I'm watching you. Yeah. Kind of thing, yeah. which is <clears throat> Because I think, because people have also talked about, like, if it is, well, because it's filmed very, like, gauzy, right? Yeah. There's a very glassy filter over yeah. the last scene. So some people have said, like, oh, it's it's probably, like, it's not a real reality. It's a, some sort of eternal loop that they're stuck in. Yeah. But <clears throat> people have also talked about, like, you know, that thing where when Max says that he's sorry... And then Krampus laughs at him mm-hmm. and he says, sorry, one more time before he's dropped. And people are like, well, he apologized and Krampus still didn't reset it. I think, I think Krampus wasn't looking for him to apologize. I think what made Krampus decide to spare them to me is when Max offers to, offers to sacrifice himself. Mm-hmm. When he says, take me instead of my family. Yeah. Cause like we hear a couple times throughout the film, you know, Krampus comes when people forget the meaning of the season, which is giving and sacrifice. And sacrifice is a weird word to use, I feel like, multiple times. Mm-hmm. Especially in, like, giving and Christmas goes together a lot more. Yeah. Sacrifice is interesting. Yeah. So yeah. I think when... Ma- well, no, I just, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I see it, like, all those different ways, I guess. Like, I'm not really... tied to one in particular and personally i would like it to be the version where he spares them um yeah but yeah it's but it doesn't it doesn't commit either way yeah um so yeah ending definitely really interesting uh but yeah it it upset a lot of people and i guess because it's open-ended yeah but it also was that traditional horror ending you know, like it's like the ending of Friday or not Friday. It's um, Nightmare on Elm Street when they get in the car and yeah, you know. yeah, absolutely. Like it's not the first horror film to do that, so yeah. I don't know why people are like surprised. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So let's talk about some other things mm-hmm. about 
the film and some other analysis. Um, you know, how, how about what about holiday horror in general? Some people think it's such a weird combination. Um, I personally think that there's a lot of horror around the holidays and that it makes a lot of sense to combine these two genres. Yeah, I don't really have a, a problem with it. I mean, I don't think... I think it, yeah, it definitely, like, it lends itself to, like, the juxtaposition. Like, it would be very interesting to have, you know, you know, the holiday of Christmas, which is, like, the ultimate sort of gathering togetherness holiday juxtaposed against, you know, horror. And, you know, there's a lot to it that, you know, lends itself to that kind of stuff. You know, like, there is isolation. Everyone's inside, even if they're, you know, together, you know, you're together with your family and, you know, the weather's starting to, to turn dark. And, you know, traditionally, you know, ghost stories were a huge part of Christmas. Um, even in researching a lot of the Krampus stuff, you know, it came up a lot that, you know, this was considered a very dark time of year, a very supernatural time of year. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't think, and I mean, like, I, I think it's, there's a lot, you know, with people worried about upsetting, you know, certain groups of people. But I think that, you know, <clears throat> it's rich and kind of, spooky traditions and you know there's nothing wrong with it well look at um look at a christmas carol Mm -hmm. like the most famous christmas story of all time which is a ghost story holiday horror particularly holiday horror like this acknowledges that being around your family isn't always great Mm -hmm. from start to finish um and there can often be a lot of tension in families Mm -hmm. there can even be toxicity and drama um there are families that reject people you know there are clashes that come when when uh, families merge and are joined um through marriages so um you know like being related to someone doesn't always mean that like they're looking out for you um or that they have your best interests at heart so the holidays yeah can be rough and dark for people and um i think films like this that acknowledge that are important but maybe make some people um uncomfortable i guess Mm -hmm. i don't know no i see that for sure um yeah and i think that there is just you know the general phenomenon of like even if people really do enjoy being around their family that sort of thing people do find themselves having sort of the blues around christmas every once in a while yeah there's yeah i mean lots of sad songs about Christmas, sad movies. Um, Cause there's, and there's lots of reasons for that, but I think sometimes it's just the idea that you have to be relentlessly happy mm-hmm. during this whole time of year is a lot and also unnatural. Um, yeah. You can't be happy all the time. Yeah. Even, even during this time of year. Um, yeah. So we've talked a little bit about um, this movie kind of nodding to other Christmas movies, like Christmas Vacation. We definitely get a lot of, you know, like a more traditional upper middle class family sort of getting invaded by like the kooky relatives um, and like things going on. Like the first half of this movie is very much like a straightforward Christmas movie. Yeah. Um, We don't, there's no, aside from the fact that like something, we get a hint that something happened with Omi, like... (laughs) Nothing, nothing for the first like 15, 20 minutes is overtly horror. Um, 
Oh, and the, we had talked a little bit about nods to, to Home Alone as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Max, uh, you know, getting in the fight with uh, the lesbian cousins, like, is very, mm-hmm. like, they were in the wrong. Yeah. But he initiates the fight, and then everyone gets mad at him, and he storms off, which is, like, when Kevin gets in the fight with Buzz in Home Alone. Yeah. And then Kevin gets sent to his room, you know? Like, it's all very, very much that. Um, in terms of the production itself, um, the house set, that house doesn't actually exist. It was all huh. soundstage. Um, uh, so it was all practically built with a little bit of CGI, which was handled by Weta Digital. Weta um, did all of the special effects and the props. Um, most people will know Weta. They are based out of New Zealand for their work on the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Oh. Um doing all of the props and the armor and the weapons and, and what have you. Um, Chris's costume is all practical. It was all hand-designed and dyed and sewn to specifically fit Luke Hawker, who is um, the stunt performer that portrays Krampus. Um, the beard was apparently made by, like, inserting or, like, punching in each individual hair. Oh. It's not one thing. It's one. It was one hair at a time to make it look more natural. Um, the only thing that's not practical in the Krampus costume is the tongue. Yeah. Which, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, some cool stuff. The, the mole to the side of Krampus's nose was actually a camera that allowed Hawker to see when he was inside <laughs> the suit because his head was, like, higher, like, in the hump. Yeah. He wasn't, like, in the mask. So they had, like, a camera in there that was connected to like the little camera in the mole so he could see what was going on. It's nifty. Um, yeah. And something I never knew until I watched the director's commentary, the character of Krampus is meant to be wearing a mask. That's interesting because I noticed this time around when he interacts with people, his face does not move. And I was like, yeah. is it just stuck that way? Like, what is it supposed to be? Yeah. Ap- yes. Apparently like, the face that he is wearing is not Krampus's face. We don't actually get to see what Krampus looks like. And Doggerty has said that it's because, kind of like what you were talking about, Miss Mel, like Krampus's origins are so murky and there's so many different interpretations of him that he didn't want to take a stance and be like, well, this is what Krampus looks like. Yeah. <laughs> and show us his face. Interesting. Um, and so people have theorized that the face he is wearing is the face of the original St. Nicholas. Mm-hmm. Um, and that Krampus has like killed him or that he took his face after he died. Doggerty said that like in his internal mythology, he knows whose face that is, but he's not going to tell us. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not Krampus's face. And I never knew that. It's um, like, I get it now that you say it, but I, you know, I wouldn't have thought on my own that that was the case. Definitely. Definitely not. Um, uh, let's see. For your snow scenes, of course, it was all fake snow since everything was filmed on a sound stage. Uh, they used um, the foam that's put inside diapers to, <laughs> to create the snow. Um, and Adam Scott talks about in the one behind the scenes thing, it was so like thick that when they had to film those th- scenes, they couldn't wear shoes because it would suck your shoes off and they'd never be able to find them. Hysterical. Um, yeah. 
Um, Dougherty talked about, about a very conscious choice in shifting the color palette um, in the film about halfway through. So basically after the Christmas movie portion ends, which was filmed in a lot of like bright, warm oranges and yellows, then everything is cast in like a colder blue and a harsh white. Um, just to symbolize the shift in tone um, once the horror begins. Um, a kind of a weird thing, the scene or like the quick moment when Rosie, the dog, dies, mm-hmm. I guess the day they filmed that, they filmed that shot. Within an hour, Mike Dougherty got word that his real life bulldog back home had died. <laughs> yeah. So he said that was like the saddest day on set. Um, and also really weird. And, um, yeah, of course we mentioned the, the Bates motel in the house from psycho is in one of the snow globes. Um, Mike Dougherty's house is in one of them as well as a lot of other famous eighties houses and famous horror houses. Um, so just as like Easter eggs for eagle eyed fans to keep an eye out for. Our score is composed by Douglas Pipes, who also scored Trick or Treat. Um, he consciously used a lot of pa- traditionally pagan instruments, drums and flutes and pipes, huh, hmm. um, in the composition, and said he wanted it to be very sort of the witch meets Home Alone. Okay. <laughs> Which I love that idea. Um, the score is available from Waxworks Records. It wasn't released till like three years after the film, though, but now you can find it pretty much anywhere. It's on Spotify. Um, the most famous song from the score um, and general soundtrack is the song that plays over the credits, which is Krampus Carol of the Bells, Carol with a K. Um, and that it's Carol of the Bells, but like with Krampus-related uh, lyrics. Um, and that's sort of become like this underground hit. in recent years and um getting the rights to some of the christmas carols actual christmas carols that play throughout the film um was i guess a a bit of a challenge for the producers because they had to explain you know to the rights holders that yes your song is going to be in a christmas horror movie but it won't be disrespectful it'll be very I've heard that Christmas music is among the most expensive to license for for things. I would think so. So Um, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Yeah. So our film here was released on December 4th, 2015 in order to coincide with Krampusnacht, which is December 5th. Uh, This was moved back from November 30th. It uh, opened in the number two spot behind Hunger, G- Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 2. And it grossed um, $16.3 million that opening weekend, which means it recouped its budget. Its budget was $15 million um, in opening weekend. It even rose 10% between its Friday and Saturday returns, which is very rare for horror films to do that. Um, they usually make the most their very first night. Uh, in total, it grossed $42.7 million domestically, $18.8 million internationally for a total of $61.5 million. So it did well. Hmm. Um, and it was the first mainstream studio Christmas-themed horror release uh, in nine years. The, the one before it was the Black Christmas remake in 2006. So kind of circling back to what we were talking about at the beginning of this episode, Christmas mm-hmm. horror, uphill battle, 
studio's yeah. <laughs> very reluctant to, to greenlight that. Um, praise was given at the time and continues to be given now for the fun, non-traditional Christmas story, the elements of humor, the spooky elements, as well as the performances of Adam Scott and Tony Collette. It's been critiqued for having a bit of an uneven tone, offbeat pacing, and of course the ambiguous ending, which we have touched on. Yes. As for any other related merchandise, uh, you can read the graphic novel, um, Krampus, Shadow of St. Nicholas, uh, which is the official companion text. There are uh, stories from all three of the writers on the film, um, but the, the novel itself is written by Brandon Seifert. Uh, Weta Workshop, who did the special effects, also offers uh, official collectibles through their um, online store. If you want, you can get Krampus pins, statues, figurines of the Dark Elves. You can get uh, the bell. Yeah, so you that, remember uh, the bell being pretty popular. Yeah, you can get the bell if you want. And uh, Trick or Treat Studios sells a couple masks. Um, they have two for the Dark Elves, uh, the mask for Window Peeper and Sheepcoat Claude. <laughs> I told you they had weird names. Yeah. Uh, you could also get a Krampus mask. And uh, Spirit Halloween sells a uh, life-size-to-scale animatronic Krampus. Nifty. If you really want to go all out. So that's sort of been the legacy of the film. Um, shall we take a moment to talk about one good scare? One good scare. Um, I Something that always stuck with me is just when Beth's walking through that first outdoor scene. Um, yeah. And how just like crazy snowy and dark it is. And then when she sees the... Uh, figure of Krampus on the roof and he's chasing her like that just whole scene was always so creepy to me yeah that is really creepy I also think the um the flashback is creepy mm -hmm. uh the animated flashback it's beautiful and I love that it's kind of like an homage to like those classic claymation Christmas yeah. you know Rudolph and Santa Claus is coming to town um but the part where the She's in bed. Yeah. And she sees Krampus leaving and he winks at her. Yeah. Ooh, that's creepy. Yeah. Um, so I think that, that's my my one good scare. Um, our next segment is the view from the closet. How do we view this film or can we view it from a queer lens? Uh, I think the obvious answer there is Stevie and Jordan. <laughs> Yeah. And the a lot to be unpacked there about their father kind of forcing stereotypical uh, male sort of coding on them while they seem to identify as female. And there's a lot going on there. Well, there's even the, the thing that, that makes them upset with the letter is when Max says that... Uh... Howard wishes they were boys. Yeah. Right? Like this this weird, yeah, this weird thing about their gender and how they act, like how they identify and how they're presenting themselves and yeah. And what have you. Um Yeah, I think that's that's definitely a, a way to read There's it. There's a, a lot to unpack there in a separate story. Yeah. And I also think um yeah, the, the idea of um, clashing with your family mm -hmm. or having family 
when when you have different values than and like your family to, members do to be is something that a Christmas, lot of, yeah yeah as a lot of LGBT people relate to when it comes to the holidays because like we we're saying it can be really different for queer people to spend time with family this around this time of year um, so yeah gone over legacy legacy any final thoughts before we move into our closing question anything we desperately want to say about Krampus that we haven't yet no I think I, I covered all my bits okay okay I think I think so too all right so we'll go into our closing question which is I've come up with it for this episode we kind of <laughs> we're joking about this earlier, but what holiday would you want to see Michael Dougherty tackle next if he was going to do sort of like a trilogy, right? Like we had trick or treat for Halloween, Krampus for Christmas. What would you want him to do next? I'd want him to do something that definitely has a like pagan ties to just sort of like pull all this together. Like, if there's, yeah. like, some weird way he could do Easter and tie it to, like, the Equinox or something, or, like, <laughs> do something about Walpurgis Noct or, like, Midsummer or something. Like, something, something, I'd like to, to see him tie, tie in his sort of pagan um, yeah. stuff that he has going with both of those. That's a really good point. So I was initially going to say New Year's. Mm-hmm. That could be just good, because though. I feel like we need we need more New Year's horror. Yeah, you know, like if we got Terror Train and New Year's Evil, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, but the pagan thing, I think I'm going to switch my answer to St. <laughs> Patrick's Day. Ooh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, and almost like see him do dig into some Irish lore. Mm-hmm. Put his spin on leprechauns. Some banshees. Yeah, banshees, snakes, and music, like hypnotic music. And I think I think he could, Yeah, there could be something there. Nice. So that's Nifty. what I'll go with. Nifty. Nifty. All right, well, I think that is going to close the book on Krampus. On Krampus. And what a book it's been. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, Miss No, how can our amazing Chatter listeners uh, find and support us this holiday season? Um, They can tweet at us at SplatterChatter666 on Twitter, which is minus all the vowels, as we have said. But you can just search it and we'll pop right up. You can email us at SplatterChatter669 at gmail.com. Uh, you can find us on Tumblr at SplatterChatter.tumblr.com. Uh, and you can check out the blog at splatter-chatter.com. Yeah. Yeah. You could also, if you wanted, go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash splatterchatter666. And, uh, you know, if the spirit of giving is moving you this season, give to us. Yeah. Or, you know, we'll take a, a rating and a review on um, your podcatcher of choice. Uh, Apple Podcasts is probably the best, but. We're happy to take love wherever you're willing to give it. Mm -hmm. And um, if you want to check out some other seasonal fare from us, we've got a couple of past episodes that have been holiday related. 
Uh, you can check out episode 14, where we cover a bunch of different holiday films, just doing uh, brief synopsises and recommendations. You can listen to episode 58, where we cover the original Black Christmas. You can listen to episode 59, where we cover Terror Train. Or you can listen to episode 74 uh, from last December, where we told each other Christmas ghost tales. Yes, last um, December, so that's three years ago. <laughs> so three years ago, uh-huh, when we did that. Um, or if you want to get a little bit silly, uh, take a look at our, or listen to our seventh Booze and Booze episode, where we watched um, the holiday, uh, was it an anthology? It was an anthology, think, yeah. Yeah, the holiday horror anthology, uh, All the Creatures Were Stirring. Yes. Um, now, as for our next episode, our first episode of 2021 in January, we haven't quite figured that out yet, but I'm sure it'll be great. Yeah. It'll be something fun and exciting to kick off a new year that is not this year, and that's all that matters. Yeah. <laughs> Don't let anyone tell you different. Don't let anyone tell you different. So I think... On that note, we both want to congratulate you for getting through this year. <laughs> um, we want to wish you all the happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy Solstice. Happy New Year. We'll see you in 2021. And until then, keep up the creep. For now, we're going to say au revoir, adios, and dasta.